that's a fact. Um, when you tend to get worn out at the end of a meeting, it's a good worn out, but you are, and it tends to happen. And I just want to, uh, I'm, I'm going to be long tonight. <laughs> I normally don't say that. Most preachers say I'm about to wrap it up, and it, we won't be long tonight. Let me just go ahead and get right out in front. We're going to be long tonight. But I think it'll be a help to you. I really do. I, I think what, we're gonna, what, what you're going to get tonight will really, really help you. Uh, and it really has nothing to do with revival. But I, I guarantee it'll help you. First Kings 17. And I'm not going to tell you anything that you probably hadn't already heard either. Uh, not going to take you to a story that you're unfamiliar with. But I think that it'll be a help to you. Uh, yesterday, my niece called me, or she called, she, she doesn't call me. Um, I'm old man. You know, we don't like to say that, but we are. And uh, my niece is 23, and she's at West Point uh, preparing to be an Army officer. And uh, she's in some kind of a bootleg, um, I don't know what kind of, uh, it was, I've never heard of the handball. And I thought, is that the kind of handball you play in prison? She said, oh, no, it's not that kind. I said, well, I don't know. She, she showed me the ball, and I said, this sounds like a bootleg uh, sport. And I said, so you varsity? She said, oh, I'm JV. I said, well. And so she came to uh, Springfield and told, my, told Rachel, said, I'm going to be in Springfield for the weekend. And I said, man, Springfield ain't but you know, 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away from Windsor. I said, I said, she got some spare time. So sure enough, she had some spare time. We went, and, um, and we sat down. Uh, at Chick-fil-A, my si- and here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's a, probably the saddest tale, is, um, is we sat down with Nisi for a little while at Chick-fil-A in Chicopee, and uh, we began to, um, you know, just kind of go over some things and just talk about when they were kids and so forth, and, and uh, you know, and she, and she said, so, so Uncle Reuben, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor, she said. I said, you didn't know that? She said, oh, no, I didn't know that. I said, okay. I said, um, my life changed in 1992 when I was in the Army, and your mom had just got out of the Navy. I said, your mother never told you about that? She said, no. I said, man, your mother led me to Jesus Christ. I said, your mom never talked to you about that? She said, no. Of course, my sister hasn't. She hadn't served the Lord in over 20-something years. And... Um, and so I, I, I was, we were talking, and we were talking about my mom. And she said, Uncle Reuben, what, you know, did you go see old Graham? That's my, my mother's name uh, for the, all the grandchildren. And I said, yeah, I went to see her. She's in Boston, and she's got stage 3 lung cancer. And I said, yeah, I went and seen old Grandma Friday. And she said, well, well how she's doing? I said, she's not doing good at all. I said, uh, they seem to think that she's going to make it. Um, I said, um, but you know me. Well, I said, you may not know me, but I, I shoot straight. I said, I think your grandmother's going to die. And she said, um, wow. And I said, it may not be this month. It may not even be this year. I said, but I said, she smoked for 40 years, even though she quit. I said, she's, she's got, she's got uh, blood issues, whether white blood cells or red blood cells. She's, she's got issues with her heart. She's got issues with her iron. She's got issues... Uh, with her breathing, she's got issues um, with a number of things. I said she's 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 in bad shape, Nisi, and she said uh, 
wow. And she said, so you're a, you're a pastor, huh, or a preacher, or whatever you call it. And I said, yeah. She said, well, what is the, um, um, I said, sermon? She said, yeah, that, that, yeah, what's that going to be tomorrow? And I said, um, it's going to be God's purpose in your pain. And I said, she said, wow, what does that mean? I said, it means that just because you do right and just because you serve God and just because uh, you live your life the right way doesn't mean that you are immune from pain. I said, now, you're not going to hear that on TV, but you're going to hear that here. And she said, well, well, what's the point of doing right? She said, I said, because it's always right to do right. The law of God, the law of the land, and the law of God tells us it's always right to do right. And so I got a chance to spend some time talking to her, and I thought, how much different would things have been if my if my sister that led me to Christ stayed on the path and never got off track? I wonder what it would be like today. What the, what those girls? Because my, my 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 sister has four daughters. And, and one, one of them is serving the Lord. And, uh, but um, she led me to Christ. And, and she, she couldn't, she just couldn't understand. Because here's what, here's what we think, church. We think that if we do right, good is always going to come. And I got some bad news. That's not always the case. It isn't. Sometimes pain's coming. And... Uh, and you can do all the right things, say all the right things, be a part of all the right things. And God can, God can allow your heart to be ripped right out of your chest. And God doesn't know you an explanation. He doesn't know me an explanation. And everything God does is for our good and for his glory. Whether you understand it now or you don't understand it till we get to glory, God is always good. He's great. He's on time. And no matter what happens, he's God. Elijah is the man of God. Elijah comes on the scene right out of a cannon. We don't hear anything about Elijah until verse 1 of 1 Kings 17. Elijah comes up and he goes to Ahab. Ahab is king of the northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes, his wife is Jezebel. I remember in Rhode Island when I was a pastor at Hope Baptist, they had a Shaw's Market in Johnston, not very far from Brother Crichton's old church. And there was this lady in there. I remember going there. She, she yelled to her daughter, Jezebel, come over here. I said, oh, man. Wow. I said, well, you're going you're gonna to cause that girl to have some pain or cause her to change her name, one or the other. And Jezebel's daddy's name is Ethbaal. Ethbaal is the king of Tyre. He's in Sidon or Zidon. He's in charge of that area. He doesn't like Elijah either. See, how do you know it's not written in the Bible? Well, if you're a Baal worshiper, you're certainly not interested in the guy that's going to come and tell your daughter and her husband it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Because if you think that Jezebel didn't give word back to her dad. You can, you can, you can count on it. Ethbel knew who Elijah was. They might have even had some wanted posters up for him. He was a wanted man. He got instructions from God. He got his first assignment from the Lord. 
to go to Ahab. The Bible says in first, well, I better get out of the book of Philippians. That's not going to help us. In verse number one, he says to go, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as Lord God of Israel liveth. That is a backhanded slap against Baal, who is not alive. The widow of Zarephath is going to say the same thing. Thy God liveth, as thy God liveth. The Lord thy God liveth. Indicating that this, this, this Savior or this God is alive. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. He's a, he's an, he is alive. He's not dead. God's not dead. No, he is alive. His first assignment was to go to Ahab. Once he delivers the, the nice news to Ahab, according to James 5.17, it's not going to rain. I prayed and then it's not going to rain. So don't look for it to rain. There's not going to be any rain. There's not going to be any dew. No water. Three and a half years till I call for it. God says it's time for you to move out because if you hang around, Ahab or Jezebel is going to kill you. Because if you don't believe that, you, you, you know that as you read in chapter 18, Obadiah was the prophet and he had hid a hundred prophets because uh, Jezebel wanted to kill him. So Elijah was no different. Elijah was a wanted man. His first assignment was to go to Ahab. His second assignment was to go to the brook Cherith. And he says, I want you to go to the brook Cherith. Now, this doesn't make any sense. Why in the world would you go to a place where ravens are going to feed you, which is an unclean bird, and Ravens are vultures that like to eat roadkill. We get our word ravenous from that, from that word, raven. They're, they're not the greatest birds in the, in the world. However, if they can be directed by God, they know exactly what time to bring groceries and the right kind of groceries to Elijah. So I don't know if the, if the ravens went and called Peapod at Stop and Shop and had them pick up some of them groceries and put it in a bag and put it in a little beak and dropped it off one in the morning, one in the evening. I don't know. And then he drank of the brook, the brook there. But you've got to know that as, and we don't know exactly how long he was at the brook. I'm just going to say for sake of, 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 of teaching, maybe a year. I don't know for sure. It doesn't say. But let's say he was there for a year. Well, during that time, he would... Uh, after a while, he'd see that the brook was going down. It wouldn't just go away immediately. And then it got to the point where it was, it was, um, it was, it, it, it had dried up. His, his second assignment was complete. It says in verse number, it says in verse number four, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. He didn't say I'm going to feed the. I'm not going to have. I'm not going to have you fed in Jerusalem. I'm not going to have you fed in Samaria. I'm not going to have you uh, in Idumea, Perea, or any of these other places. You need to go to the specific place that I've told you to go to, and that's where I'm going to provide for you. Now, you, you don't, it, it, it doesn't make, it may not make sense to you how I'm going to provide, but I'm going to do it. 
And it doesn't always make sense how you're going to provide. It's there. It's there. It's there. In verse number 9 it says, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. He has a widow woman. He, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So his second assignment is over. His third assignment has been given him to go to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath is about 100 miles from the brook Cherith. And you have to go right up into enemy territory. And Zidon is the region that Ethbaal is the king of. So God is sending him right into Jezebel's daddy's backyard. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense that he would send him to Jezebel's backyard, and it doesn't make sense that he'd send him to a widow. Because here's what we'd say. You need to send him to somebody that's got a bunch of money. Let me assure you, most folks in churches that have a lot of money, they ain't giving it. It's usually the folks that don't have the money, they usually carry the load. And I'm not saying that people that have money, none of them give it. I'm not saying that at all. The point I'm making is, proportionately, most of the folks that don't have it are the ones that are most willing to give it. He says, I want you to go to a widow. That doesn't make sense. Going to Jezebel's backyard, that doesn't make sense. This stuff just doesn't make sense. But God said, it's going to be there that I provide for you. There. Well, I, I don't want there. Well, then you just starve to death. And you can just, you can, you can be thirsty till you, till, you, till, you don't, till you can't get any water. But if you want my provision, you're going to have to do what I say and go where I tell you to go. Whether you want to or not, this is not only the place, these are places of provision, these are also places of patience and places of protection. These are places that I'm going to send you that you might think, why would I ever go here? But I'm getting ready to teach you some great lessons that where I guide, I take care of mine. And it may not be the, you know what I found? It never seems to be the way you think it's going to come about. You always think it's going to be somebody or some, and then all of a sudden God sends somebody your way. You know, we, we had a guy that was in our church when I first got there. He didn't like some of the things I did, and within a month, two months, he was gone. And he was a, he was a, he was a tree guy. And, um, and we had trees all over our church. We, we no longer have trees. We don't need them. I don't particularly care for the trees that was at our church because they were hiding the place, and people were having rendezvous in the parking lot. You know, they were just talking and fellowshipping and having prayer. Just saying. And he left. And, and I, I said, boy, I wish he would have never left. And then God allowed me to meet a man whose name's Jim Lukina. And Jim Lukina knows everybody in Windsor. He used to live in Windsor. He's, he's nearly related to everybody in Windsor. And if he's not related, they're his friends, and they probably call him cousin. And Jim came and cut all our trees down for nothing. And, and Jim would do anything. He brought boulders. We had people throwing stuff in the back. He said, I'll just get you a couple boulders. I said, when you gonna? He said, I'm going to go get them right now. He said, you got a sinkhole here. It needs to be filled. I said, I don't know how to do that. He said, well, I'll go get you some stuff. I'll be right back. 
I said, how much is it going to cost? He said, you have to tell your church that you're no longer a Patriots fan, you're a Buffalo Bills fan. I said, I'll tell them that. And I'll take it back, amen? And so, but the Lord, he doesn't come to our church. He never comes to our church. Unless he's going to do some work on our church and he won't ever take a dime. You just never know how it's going to come. I, I remember that. I, you may not remember, Brother Ray. I remember, I believe, it was the, I believe it was 2002 or 2003, your camper was out here. And I met Brother Ray and I said, I'm going to need this guy's help one day. And sure enough, after it, I went from Providence to Florida. And then I came back here. And, and then I said, I need him. And I, and I, and I, forgot, I had forgot all about him. I, and then Brother Marty said, hey, I got this guy, Brother Ray Ovid. He can do anything. I said, all right, praise the Lord. I'm going to call him. And boy, if you just seen where we are now, from where we were, oh my, oh my. I had Brother Ray come up the last couple, a month ago, and we did a, another bathroom. And he asked me today, he said, he said, you bring, you bring any pictures? I said, nah, another bathroom. I'm tired of working on that building, amen. But God has brought so many people our way. Tim, Tim showed up. Tim came two years in a row to do siding at our church. Took off a couple of days from working at the school and came and helped us. You just never know. You just never know where the help's going to come from. And let me hear, it, it just isn't going to be the way you think it's going to be. God sends this man help and sends him to places that it doesn't make any sense. But God's preparing this man. He's preparing this man. Look at verse number 17. And it came to pass after these things. Now, these things were, he comes into town to Zarephath. She's at the gate gathering sticks. And he says, you think you could go get me some, go get me a bottle of Dasani water? And so she runs over to the Coca-Cola machine, gets a bottle, throws in a dollar, dollar 80, and a nickel for the, for the bottle. And she brings back some Dasani water, hands on some. He said, you think you give me some, you think you give me a cake? He said, well, supermarkets are out of business. All I got is a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil, and I'm going to make this little cake. I'm going to eat some. My son's going to eat some, and we're going to wrap this life up. You know what that preacher said? How dare him? Here's what I want you to do. Give it to me first. Now, here's what we'd say. I wouldn't have did that. I know, and you'd have starved to death, too. That don't make sense. Man, this whole story doesn't make sense. <laughs> this thing doesn't make sense. You're going to go to a widow who has nothing, who really needs help, and she's going to help you. And she's got really nothing to give you except this little bit. But she was willing to give what she had and because of her obedience, God made sure that the next two years or two and a half years, she wasn't going to have to worry about anything. Now, here's the thing. Food's coming every morning. They get up. They make some, you know, they make some cathead biscuits every morning with that meal and that oil. I don't know where they got the water. I'm sure God provided the water to. Every morning, she knew that barrel was going to have food, uh, grain in it. She knew that that cruise was going to have oil in it. She had no problems. God had blessed her obedience. God had blessed her for doing what's right. And now after all these things happen, guess what? Boy dies. 
how in the world do you reconcile her being obedient to God in taking care of the man of God, him be obedient to God to go to Ahab, then him being obedient to go to the brook Cherith, then being obedient to go to Zarephath, and then after God does all these wonderful things, he allows the boy to die. How do you reconcile that? You can't. It doesn't make sense. But God allows it to happen. And it happens. Verse 17, it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman and his, uh, the mistress of the house fell sick and his sickness was sore, so sore that there was no breath left in him. If he's not breathing, he's not living. Verse 18, and she said unto Elijah, what have I to do with thee, thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin into remembrance and to slay my son? She, she starts blaming the preacher. Now, let's not be too hard on her. Same thing with, with Job's wife. You know what a lot of folks say? Man, who does Job's wife think she had curse God and die? You probably have said the same thing for, for something a whole lot less than what she went through. I want you to, I want you to think in your mind. Harvest uh, Job and Job's wife, Mrs. Job, they members of Harvest Baptist Church, and they live in Torrington, and they pay twice the amount of taxes that everybody in the whole state pays. And they want to move, but they got jobs here, and they can't move, and they can't make ends meet. And they don't care if the senator's walking from Danbury to Danielson. It ain't changing nothing. Job, Mrs. Job and Brother Job coming to Harvest Baptist Church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, tithers, faithful. Guess what happens? There's a birthday party at one of the children's houses. House falls apart. All of them die. They call Pastor Shot up and says, Hey, I need you to move all the chairs out of the front of the pulpit. We're going to put two over here, two here, two here, two here, and two in the back. And we're going to have a funeral for all ten of them right here. And we're going to have ten hearses lined up in front of this church. And you tell me that if that happened to you, you wouldn't say some things? So we don't look at it like that. We look at it like it's a Bible story. Here's a woman that was in grief. She lost every one of her kids. Let's not give this lady a break. Let's give her a break. She just, however long it was, came from the cemetery by saying goodbye to her husband. And now the same things happened to her son. And she thinks, hey, I've been doing right. I did what God told me. I followed the prescription. This is supposed to work differently. This isn't supposed to happen to me. Well, it does happen to people like us. Hey, hey, you know what I thought? I thought when my daughter got pregnant, this isn't supposed to happen to me. This is not supposed to happen to me. I'm the preacher. Oh, so that makes you a little bit more better than everybody else. And somehow your kids ain't going to make bad decisions too. Boy, I love sweet tea though. Man, I love sweet tea. She's fat. I mean, she... Maybe you take one of her legs off and put it on the grill and I assure you, you... You won't, you, won't have, you won't miss a meal for a month. That, I assure you. Run to Coretta and get the picture. She got them. Man, I love sweet tea. Her name's Trinity, and, and so I call her sweet tea. And, um, you know, no, I don't like the way things happen. Uh, she didn't have nothing to do with it. And uh, that's not supposed to happen. You know, the brethren say, 
let me tell you what you should do. And I tell them, let me tell you what you should do. And if you don't get out of my face, I'll tell you the way I used to before I got saved. <laughs> Look, it's kind of, you'll be all right. You, you, you already know something's coming. You'll be all right. You, 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 you better, you'll be able to take care of this. If you don't, you'll be all right anyway. I remember going to Leslie Freeman. Leslie Freeman, he's about 90 now. He's a, he's a black preacher down in Delaware. He said, let me ask you something, Brother Collins. He said, I've never been to Bible college. I said, okay. He said, oh, did you get your uh, soteriology? I said, yes, sir. He said, did you get your psychology? I said, mm-hmm. He said, uh, what about the, uh, all the other ologies, the bibliology? I said, yeah, I got all those. He said, well, I want you to know you missed one. My wife, she's, she's nervous back there. She'll be all right, too. I said, yeah, Brother Freeman, which one did I miss? He said, Negroology. And he said, if you don't get that one, you're going to miss it. Now, I know. I know. You, you, here's what you're thinking. Uh, um, what do I say about that? I, I, you know, it's a politically correct. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. You'll be fine. He said, you have to understand how things work in the neighborhood, and you don't. Okay. That felt flat. Folks look at me like, I hope he finishes soon. <laughs> You'll be fine. Should have never said nothing like that. I had no problem at our church saying that. Nobody had no problem. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving on. I knew I shouldn't have said nothing. You'll be all right. Place of pro- it was a place. It was this was a place of protection. It was a place of provision and a and a a place of patience because he had to wait until the word of the Lord came to him. He couldn't leave until it was time until God told him to. Here's a young lady, or whatever age she is, because she has a young boy, and she's already buried her husband. Now her son is dead. And she's wondering and telling the preacher, did you come here? Now, wait a minute. She wasn't saying that when the meal wasn't wasting. But it's amazing how quickly things change in our lives when pain comes. And so she she blames the man of God. Leave her alone. She's all right. She's been down that road before. And it hurts even worse now because it's her boy. It's easy to say, you'll get over it. No, let me tell you something. People don't get over losing their kids. People don't get over losing their mom and their dad and all this. Just go and get over it and let it get closure. I don't even know what that means because that's a lie. Ain't no such thing as no closure. We just close the door and forget all about them people. Are you kidding me? That's just a crazy statement. And I know what we do. We, 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 we invent these statements to try to ease the pain. It doesn't. It doesn't. It stings. It hurts. It's painful. No, no, let, me, let me give you this. Verse number 19. And he said unto her, give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into the loft where he abode. That means he didn't stay with the mother. You catch that? Elijah was a man of integrity and character. 
He stayed up in the loft. She didn't. Amen? Where he abode and laid upon his own bed. Not hers. Not theirs. Verse 20. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? Now, now Elijah's going to blame God. We need somebody to blame. Because this happened to me. Because we've been, we have been culturally conditioned to believe that if we do right, if we say right, if we act right, if we behave right, right is always going to prevail. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. And sometimes people die. And sometimes people get hurt. And sometimes people get paralyzed. And sometimes people get cancer. And sometimes people lose their legs. And I'm talking about people that love God with all their heart. And you say, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. How do you reconcile it? You can't. You can't. When Jesus is on, given the Sermon on the Mount, he says he sendeth rain and sun on the just as well as on the unjust. I'll never forget being in Providence, being the chaplain of the Providence PD. And whenever I'd go to a police officer's funeral, like Jimmy Allen that died in 05, and he was killed by Esteban Carpio in Central Station, and I remember coming back and, and from Jersey. I was on vacation. I came back to the, to the station, and Jimmy had died, and I went to the wake. And, and what had happened is Esteban Carpio wrestled Jimmy in one of, the, uh, one of the interview rooms, got his gun, killed him, blew a window out in the third floor, jumped down, ran downtown, and tried to get a cab to either New York or Boston. And the cabbie was undecided because the guy didn't know where he was going, New York or Boston from Providence. So they ended up getting... Uh, Esteban, he's, and he's, of course, he's at the ACI, and I can remember many of police officers coming to me as I rode in the car and said, how is it that you have people like Esteban Carpio that stay alive, and a guy like this who's good ends up dying? Now answer me that, Rev. And that's what they'd say to me. I said, I don't have an answer for you. I don't. They said, it don't make sense. I said, it doesn't. But see, now we go over to, to believers. And somehow, some way, it's supposed to change because we walked in church. And we read our Bible. And we pray. God, have I prayed? I didn't pray enough. God, I didn't read my Bible enough. I missed a couple of services. You better stop feeling sorry for yourself and, and blaming yourself for something that just took place that had nothing to do with you. I know, it's not a revival meeting. Verse 21, he stretched himself upon the child three times, cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child come. Let this child's soul come into him again. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came unto him again. And of course, he delivers him to his mother. This widow's son, the Shunammite's son, 2 Kings 4. Jairus' daughter, Mark chapter 5. Jairus is on his way to get Jesus. Comes to Jesus and said, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hand upon her that she may live. 
And as a woman with the issue of blood touched his garments, held Jesus up a little bit, by the time they're heading back, some of the men came and said, thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master any further. And he, Jesus looked at Jairus and said, be not faithless, only believe. They get to Jairus' house, and the hired mourners are out there. You know what hired mourners are, right? People that are paid to cry. You got a lot of preachers like that. Come into these meetings, cry all over the place, give them a ton of money, and ain't nobody got no help. You'll be all right. It's a revival meeting, isn't it? You'll be all right. Okay, that don't happen. I'm just saying. Hey, Jesus, take them that were with him, Peter, James, and John. He walks into there, moves that crowd out of the way, and they laugh him to scorn. They were crying one minute, laughing the next. Church people. And so he moves the church folk out the way, goes into the house and says, Talitha kumai, which being interpreted is, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And she got up, and, and Jesus said, go on down to Popeye's and get her some biscuits and some fried chicken and feed her because she's hungry. And so, so Jairus run down to Albany Ave and grab some. Amen. <laughs> Lazarus is dead four days. He stinketh. Roll the stone away. Lazarus, come forth. Luke chapter number 7. There's another widow. The widow of Nain, N-A-I-N. And this widow is bearing her only son. Jesus meets the funeral procession and he touches the B-I-E-R, beer, or B-E-I-R. I before E except after C, unless you're the preacher and you don't know either. He touches the beer and he says, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead got up. And the Bible said Jesus delivered him unto his mother. You know why? Because wasn't nobody else around. You know why nobody else was around? Because when folks like that get up and they start walking, everybody else does too. At a fast pace. I don't know if that's in there. That's the next door neighbor to Popeyes. The Shunammite's do, uh, Shunammite son, this, this son, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, and the widow of Nain's son all died and all were raised back alive. But guess what happened eventually again? They died. Nisi asked me, she said, Uncle Reuben, you going to pray for your mother? I said, yep. I'm going to pray that my mom gets saved. Because Jesus talked about it's better to take your eyeball out with a screwdriver and throw it on the ground than to have both eyes and to go into hell where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. You see, a lot of these folks that like to go to these crusades and these conventions and these word of faith movement meetings to get healed. Hey, whether you get healed or you don't get healed, one day your healing's done. 
And what you need more importantly than physical healing is spiritual healing. And my mom needs to get saved more than she needs another five years. She does. But you give her another five years without Christ and she doesn't get saved, she's going to have an eternity without him. Well, you a pastor. How do you reconcile your daughter getting pregnant? How do you reconcile your mom having cancer? How do you reconcile people walk out on you? How do you reconcile all this stuff? I don't reconcile it. I understand God's great, he's good, and he's on time, and whatever he does, he does for my good and for his glory. And we'll understand it better by and by. You know, Charles Tinley, Charles Tinley was a former slave, and he worked as a janitor in a Methodist church in Philly. And Charles Tinley worked his way up. He didn't have an education. He worked his way up to mastering Greek and Hebrew and became the pastor of what today is called Tinley, Methodist, Tinley Temple Methodist Church in Philadelphia. And Charles Tinley wrote some of the one, most wonderful hymns. When my work, uh, we'll understand it better by and by. He, he, uh, he wrote... Uh, um, I was going to say, brethren, we have met to worship, but that's not true. Um, he wrote others, amen? Be all right. He, un he wrote, under we'll understand it better by and by. And, and I'm sure that that's in your hymn, though. If it's not, uh, it's all right. No, it, it ain't in here. What's wrong with his hymn, though? Is it? it maybe... It, oh, yeah, because it's W-E, isn't it? Yeah. 257? Farther along? Nah. Different guy. Hold on. There's, there's another song. What's that song? Sweetheart, what's that song we always sing? There's a hundred of them. Man, I'm trying to think of that song that we... Hey, give me my hymn book. I know where it is. Hey, this is how I preach at Grace. You'll be all right. I, get, you, I should play it on the piano? Okay, I'll play it on the piano. Did you hear Karen say, where's my wife? She's gone already. She left out of here quick. I believe it's 85. Yeah, there we go. It'll be all right. I can, I can do it a little bit. I just, just started playing, so that's my disclaimer, so if I mess up. Yeah, that's it. Uh, let's see. How do we do this? Uh... Know the tune? Yeah. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Charles Tinley. I remember, in Cape, I remember the story of Charles Tinley. He buried one of his sons in Cape May, New Jersey. And he was so poor that his, 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 body, his son's body lay and stayed at the house and he didn't know what to do with it. But he never gave up and he never gave in. And there's, and there's a lot of uh, songs that 401 that come out of the agony and pain that at times folks think, what is this for? If the world from, I'm going to try to play this. I told you it was going to be late anyway, so you'd be all right. I'm going to try to play it. 
practice. Charles Tinley, but you wouldn't know that if you didn't go through all that pain. Let me give you this and we'll wrap it up. Not as long as you thought. I got four points. I actually do, but I'm not going to give them to you long, really, honestly. But be careful about them preachers. This place of pain. Let me give you four, four things about this place of pain. Number one, they were in a place of obedience. Just because you're obedient to God doesn't mean that you're exempt from God's trials or from trials, from pain, from suffering. The via dolorosa, via, way, dolorosa, suffering. Compassion, C-O-M, with passion, suffer. We don't want to suffer. We don't want pain. We want a smooth ride. It doesn't work that way in this life. And it doesn't work that way for the believer. It's a place of obedience. He did everything God told him to do. She did everything God told him to do, told her to do. And guess what happened? Her boy still died. It wasn't Elijah's fault, and it wasn't her fault. And it certainly wasn't God's fault. It's a place of obedience. Number two, it was also a place of service. See, here's what a lot of folks think. Well, I'm going to serve the Lord here and do this and do this, and I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to be a missionary, and I'm going to be a preacher, and I'm going to... That's not going to exempt you. I remember the night. I remember the night um, I found out about my daughter. And you know what? I said, who, who, who in the world can I call? I called, I, called, I was about to say it, but I called Pastor Shot. I said, Marty, I'm in trouble. That could have meant anything, amen? I need to see you now. You want to come to the house? No, I want to come to the church. He said, oh, serious. I said, yeah, serious. He said, alone? I said, alone. I said, Marty, what am I going to do, man? He said, you're going to be okay, man. You're going to be all right. I said, Marty, this is not supposed to happen to us. I said, he said, what? Hey, you're human, ain't you? Do you think your family's any different than a lot of these families out here? And they started giving me stories, and I, I wish you would have kept them. He said, you know, one day you're going to look back. Now, he probably don't, won't want me to say this, but he'll be all right, too. He asked me to come. He said, you know what you need? you need? You need some tempering. You're a little too high strung, and you need, you need, to get, you need, you need, some, you need something to, to back you off and to slow your roll. He didn't exactly say it like that. Can you imagine the preacher saying, you need to slow your roll? <laughs> nah. Not happening. He said, but you know something? 
this is going to make you more of a compassionate preacher than you ever thought you'd be. He's right. God, you, you know what took place? I was serving God, trying to help a preacher's wife put a deck on his, on his wife's house where she's dying of cancer so she could roll out. I come home and get the news. Then, God, I'm serving you. Man, I'm following you. Come on, Lord, you brought me all the way. I, hey, we left Florida to do this. We left our kids, our grandkids. How do you reconcile that? can't. God, this ain't supposed to happen. Why not? What makes you better than all these other people? It's a place of service, a place of obedience. It's a place of blessing. Every morning they got up and there was breakfast and enough for supper. God was blessing them. And then all of a sudden, 24 hours turned their whole life upside down. And then point number four, and I'm done. It was a place of a previous trial. She'd already, she'd already, she already buried her husband. Now she's going to have to have another trial just like that. You know what we seem to think? The worst is behind us. You don't know that. You better stop tricking yourself and thinking that the worst is behind you. It may not be. It might be ahead of you. Just because you, you'd have made it through a trial doesn't mean one isn't coming your way again. You know what's amazing when you get to Luke chapter 7 and you read about the story of the widow of Nain? Jesus raises him from the dead. He said, you must be one of the prophets. Who's she talking about? She's talking about Elisha and Elijah. You know why? Because she would have known the book. She would have known the story of Elisha with the Shunammite son and Elijah with the widow of Zarephath's son. That, that would have given that lady some comfort. See, you don't know what God has planned for you or me and just because you're serving Jesus and because you name the name of Jesus Christ and you go to church and you don't miss church and you don't and you tithe and, and you serve and you weigh yourself out for God, this ain't supposed to happen. Well, it happens. And it happens regularly to God's people because we're in a fallen world and things do happen. People do get sick. People do die. And none of us is getting out of here alive. How do you reconcile that your mom's going to die eventually? I reconcile that I'm going to die, number one. Number two, every one of us, according to Hebrews 9.27, has an appointment. You ever heard they died an untimely death? I understand the logic, but every one of us has an appointment. And I'm not saying that callously, because I, I do know that people have lost loved ones here. And I have too. I said I was going to quit. I lied. You've heard preachers lie before. Let me tell you about Sam. Let me tell you about Sam. 
Sam was my stepdaddy. Sam died at 39. And when my dad left, Sam took the responsibility of taking care of five kids that weren't his and washed dishes at a restaurant to take care of us. Sam coached our football team. Sam was mean, but he loved us. And what I mean by mean, he was an old boxer, and he was about this tall right here. And he was, he was bad to the bone. He was from L.A., lower Alabama. I mean, Sam was, he's mean. They had an outhouse at his house. Sam was mean, but he loved us. And I'm telling you, he was, he was, you didn't, you didn't, hey, his, his number one statement was, I said what I mean, and I mean what I said. And if Sam told you to do something, you better do it. Because Sam was an old boxer. He didn't believe in whooping you. He believed in beating you down. And there wasn't, and there wasn't no child abuse. I remember the day that we lived in the apartments in Falmouth. There ain't no apartments there. Look, I, I met roaches the first time in the apartments. Don't tell me. I, I, I said, what's that? Sam said, hey, that's just roaches. You'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's, that's, that's one of the prerequisites of being us. You'll be all right, church. <laughs> he said, you'll be all right. He said, get in your food. You got a little bit more meat. Now close your mouth and eat and be glad you got what you got. I mean, Sam was serious. He wasn't playing. He grew up tough in, in, in this deep south. And I remember the day at the apartments, there was a little swimming pool on the other side, and we'd swim, and there was this lifeguard named Dave. And my mother was on the, on the balcony, and she, she said well, something for one of the kids to come in, and he, he cursed my mom. And Sam went under the bed and got his 38 special and went down. Hey, he was like Jairus's, you know, Jairus's daughter getting up. I mean, he went down there, and everybody in the pool just... And he put that snub nose in Mr. Day's face and said, you ever disrespect my wife again, I will blow your brains out right here, right now. And he went back up home, put his pistol in his back under the bed, and turned on Alf. You remember that show, Alf? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> hey Sam, Sam was serious. I remember the day when I was in, when I was in Louisiana, two years before I met my wife. My mom called, and Sam had died. And I flew from Louisiana back up to Massachusetts, and, we, and we, they had the funeral, and then we, we put little Alf in there in his casket with Sam. And, and uh, I, was, I was a brand-new private. My brother was an airman in the Air Force. We put our little ribbons in there, and we closed it, and we'd never been in. And we went to, Matt, we went to Otis, and my mother was in, in the military, so, so they buried him at, Otis, at uh, Camp Edwards or Otis Air Force Base. And, um, and, and I'd never experienced that in my life. I wasn't saved, and, and it was one of the most empty times in all of my life. And, and I thought, I love Sam. I love Sam more than anything. I, I pretty much love Sam more than my father. Man, I love Sam. And he's 39. I'm 50 today. His daughter was six when he died. She's 39 now. Why did God let... You hear it. Why does God let 15-year-olds? Why does God let 12-year-olds? Why does God let infants? Why does God let 30-year-olds? Why does God let 50-year-olds? I don't know. But I know he does. I love Sam. Every time I think of Sam, it reminds me of what he did for us. Five kids that weren't his. 
and took care of us like we were his own. And when Sam died, they put in the paper that he was a chef. He wasn't. And his children had named all of us. And my father went to the funeral, and he looked at it, and it wasn't nothing he could say, and it wasn't nothing we was going to say, because as far as we concerned, Sam never walked out till the day he died. I don't know about his salvation. I don't, we don't, I don't know nothing about that, but I do know about Sam. Sam was my hero. When I got ready to go to Louisiana on active duty, it was, de- it was January of 1987. And my dad was going to drop me off at Logan Airport with his wife. And my mom wanted, it was the last time I saw Sam. And my mom wanted to go, but she couldn't because she had Sammy and Shannon. And Sam said, I'll ride up with you. And he rode in the car with my father and my father's wife in the back with me and told me he was proud of me and he loved me. I don't know what kind of pride he had to suck up to sit there with my father. But he loved me. And my world fell apart when Sam died. Sam died and I was, I was, I, they buried, they, they, he, he was born two days before my brother's birthday and he died two days before mine. And my 19th birthday, I watched them put Sam in the ground. 31 years later, I can still see Sam's face. And I love Sam. Sam meant the world to me. You know what people say? Sam left too soon. Maybe. But I'll tell you what. Sam made a difference in my life. He drove from Bourne to to Chatham every day to work. I don't know if you know where that is. But just think of where the bridge is. The Bourne or the Sagamore Bridge to where the hook, the elbow of Cape Cod is, over an hour, to care for kids that weren't even his. I love Sam. Thanks for letting me share my story about Sam. But let me tell you something. We're all going to have hurt and pain. We've already had it, some of us, all of us probably. It's no guarantee that it's not coming again. Just because you're in a place of blessing and a place of obedience, a place of service, doesn't mean it won't be a place of a previous trial because another one's coming. Stop listening to these preachers on TV and realize you get banged up in this thing and it hurts. That's why you need the church. That's why you need one another. Let's all stand together.